Our scripture passage today is from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. And uh, this passage takes place immediately after the resurrection. It's on the same day, it's Easter morning, it's after the disciples have gone to the tomb and they have found it empty, yet they have not yet encountered uh, Jesus in his resurrected form. Uh, before we read this, let us uh, pause for a moment in prayer. Good and wonderful Father, as we come before this scripture, Lord, this story about our risen Lord, Father, we come with hope and we come with expectation in our heart. But Father, as we look at these words, we know that we can understand a none of your will for us unless the same spirit that illuminated these words would illuminate us today. So we ask that you would breathe your Holy Spirit among us, Lord, that open our hearts and minds, that we may hear, that we may read, that we may understand your good and perfect will for us. Bless this holy reading of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Listen now to the word of the Lord. That very day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while they talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So if you look at the front of your bulletin there, I've got a, a painting. 
that we've put on here. And, and usually I've got a painting of the, of the empty tomb. But today I picked a different painting. And this is a painting by a guy named Moritz Retsch. If I have or, or right, I don't know. I, it's hard to pronounce. It's got too many consonants in it. Um, but this, this painting here, I, I picked this. It's a very interesting one. If you notice, you've got two figures playing chess here. And an angel kind of looking sad there in the background, looking on. Now, what's interesting about this painting, you don't, might not know it from looking at it, but that guy there in the green with the, with the red feather in his cap, that's the devil. That's the devil. This guy has gotten into a chess match with the devil. And you know how the story goes, right? We've all heard devil went down to Georgia, right? You know that he, he was trying to get something good. The devil promised him money or power or fame or whatever it was in exchange for his soul. If the devil wins, he's going to get some great reward. But if the, I'm sorry, if the devil loses, the guy's going to get some great reward. But if the devil wins, he's going to get this man's soul. Now, normally when we hear these stories, um, the guy always finds a way to outsmart the devil, right? I mean, we like happy endings. You know, Johnny with his fiddle, he ended up out playing the devil. It ended up being a happy story. We like it. But I'm going to tell you, this painting was written like back in the 1800s, okay? They knew that all stories didn't have happy endings, right? And if you look at the title of this painting, this one is called Checkmate. And if you don't know anything about chess, checkmate means you've just lost the game. And that's what this young man is here. He's, he's in checkmate. He's there with his head to his hands, agonizingly looking over the board because he's in checkmate. Now, if you don't know anything about chess, checkmate's an interesting game. Or chess is an interesting game. The way you win, like I said, is checkmate. But you normally in chess, you know, you're defending your king and you're trying to capture or put in a checkmate your opponent's king. But what's interesting is you don't actually take the king. You never take your opponent's king. What you do is you put him in a position where you can take him on the next move. You don't take him. That always confused me as a kid. I'm like, why can't I go ahead and just take the king? feels good to take the king. But maybe it's because it's a gentleman's game. You don't actually take the king. You put him in a position called checkmate, which means you can't do anything. You're lost. The next move I can take you, I'm not going to do it, but you're in a hopeless situation. No matter what you do to the pieces on this board, no matter what you do to your king, no matter how you strive for it, you have lost already. Hope is gone. Doom is coming. Got you in checkmate. That's why this, this young man has got such consternation on his face. He's looking at the board, looking for something that he can do. Because the king's not gone. But he's in checkmate. And he knows that there's nothing that he can do to save himself. I think this painting is a, uh, it's a great metaphor for life. It's hard not to look at this painting and not feel empathy for this young man. I mean, look, I know it's his own fault, right? He never should have gotten into a chess match for the devil, with the devil. And especially, you should never play with your own soul. I mean, it's his fault, but gosh, to be in checkmate like that, in a situation like that, you've got to feel sorry for him. And I think our hearts echo a little bit of empathy because, well, we've all felt that way sometimes, haven't we? We've all felt this time in our life where we're checkmated. 
we feel like we're in this with this hopeless situation and there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do to get out of it. We're, we're just kind of doomed and, and we've run out of options. That's what checkmate is. It's, it's all hopelessness and it's, and it's waiting for that hammer to fall. Like I said, we've all felt that way at some point in our life. Maybe some of you feel that way right now. Maybe you feel like your marriage is in a place of checkmate. That it's just been getting worse and worse over the years. And, and you feel like there, there's nothing you can do to make it better again. And you're just kind of waiting for, waiting for it to fall apart. Or maybe your finances, or you've juggled those numbers, you've looked at the books again and again and tried to make it work, and there's nothing you can do to make these things work, and you're, you're just waiting for disaster to come. Or maybe even it's, it's one of your own kids. They, they, you've raised them up, you've tried to raise them right, but they're just kind of going their own way, and they're going the wrong way, and you're watching it happen right before your eyes, and there's nothing you can do about it. He's feeling this hopeless situation, this, this checkmate, that there's nothing you can do. Some people say our, our country is in checkmate. Some people feel that very way about our country, that we have gone down the road for so long that there's nothing we can do to save it now. That we, we've abandoned the church too much, that we've, we've just deviated and we've left the way of righteousness and goodness for so long, for so much, that there's nothing we can do about it now. Hasn't fallen yet. The king's not been taken yet, but we just feel it's coming. And I'm just one person. What can I do about it? We're just, we're just a small community here in Lexington. We all know it's right here, but what can we do about it in this great, big, giant country of ours? It hasn't fallen yet, but it feels inevitable. We feel like we are in checkmate. It's a familiar feeling. I think it's a very human feeling. The disciples felt the very same way. The disciples thought that they had been checkmated. Here in this story, in this road to Emmaus, you know, we, we normally read this story about a few a week or two after Easter, so we've kind of gotten into our heads that this happened a little while after Easter. But this is, in fact, an Easter story, Easter Sunday story. It happened on the same day that Jesus rose. They, they, they went to the tomb and they, and they found it empty, but no one had yet seen Jesus. So the disciples are walking on the road to this place called Emmaus, and, and Jesus starts walking beside them. Jesus is right there walking beside the disciples, but it says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And, and Jesus asked him, he says, well, what are you talking about? And they're, and they're amazed. They're like, you haven't heard? I mean, you've got to be the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard what has happened yet. And Jesus asked him, well, what's happened? And so they go on to tell the story of Jesus. And, and in verse 21, you can hear the disappointment in them. They say, we had hoped that he was the one. Oh, man, we had hoped so much. Oh, we had such high hopes that Jesus was the one. But he's dead now. He's dead now, plus it's been three days. It's after three days, that first stage of grief, which is, which is disbelief and shock or denial. That three days now, that, that first stage is starting to wear off, and it's sinking into the disciples. He's dead. He's dead, and it's real. 
And, and you read this and you can just, oh, you can feel the disappointment just dripping from the disciples. Oh, we had such high hopes. They're destroyed now. Israel was, it was in a bad place for so long that there were this one little nation surrounded by a whole world of darkness. The, the only nation in the world that had the truth, the only nation in the world that knew about the one God, the only nation in the entire world that had the law and the prophets and the prophecies, the only one that had been shepherded and guided by the Holy Spirit of God, and they were surrounded, one tiny little nation surrounded by a whole world of pagan godlessness. And to make matters worse, they had been conquered now, the Romans, which were a cruel and despotic people. I mean, you think, you think America's bad. I mean, read about some of the corruption the Romans had. It'll, it'll, it'll make you sick to your stomach. It makes us look like saints. And those people, those are the ones that had come and taken over Jerusalem. They had taken over Israel, and the people of God were living under the boot hill of tyranny. And the only thing they had going for them was the promise of a Messiah. It had been prophesied for so long. Someone from the line of David would restore the kingship. He would deliver them. Out of darkness, out of bondage, and establish a kingdom that would last forever. That was their hope. And then Jesus came. Jesus came and the disciples knew this had to be the guy. This is the one that we had been waiting for. He, he checked all the boxes. He had the miracles. He had the power. He had the wisdom. He had the words. He had the charisma. And he matched up perfectly with all the prophecies that had been written about him. I mean, they just knew he was going to be the one. He was going to deliver Israel. He was going to fulfill all of our hopes. He was going to make our nation great again. Then disaster. The devil made his move on the board. Jesus was betrayed by one of his own disciples. He was handed over, arrested, and had a, had a sham trial on trumped-up charges. And he was convicted. Convicted, and he was sentenced to death, and he was hung up to die on a cross with some common criminals. Everything had all their hopes had been dashed. The defeat was complete. And now the disciples were just waiting for themselves to be rounded up and killed. They, they ended up going into hiding because they knew that the chief priests and the scribes and the same people that killed Jesus were going to come after them now. The hammer hadn't fallen yet. But they knew it was coming. They knew it was just a matter of time. Hope was lost. It was check. And it was made. Except we know better, don't we? We know better. We know that this isn't the end of the story. We're here celebrating Easter Sunday because that was not the end of the story. Now, some of you might be wondering, why of all days I picked this painting? I mean, on Easter Sunday, the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, I've got a painting on here of a young man who just lost a chess match with the devil told you it was a great metaphor for life didn't I and it is a great metaphor for life and there is a wonderful story that's attached to this painting I don't know if you've heard it before but uh, this painting used to hang in the home of a wealthy New York businessman and he had this painting in his house and one day he had a party 
And he invited lots of friends over to this party, and he was, he was showing him his collection of art. And, and as the, the night wore on, there was a young man he found who was just fixated on this painting. He was just he was looking at it for, for a longest time. He just sat there looking at the painting. And finally the host said, son, why, why, are, you, why are you so fixated on this painting? He says, you know, you might not know this, but I'm a chess grandmaster. And I've been looking at this painting and something about it's been bothering me all night long. So I, I keep looking at it and, and I finally figured out what it is. I said, well, what is it? He says, I figured out we need to change the name of the painting. I was like, what are you talking about? Why do we need to change the name of the painting? He says, I told you I'm a chess grandmaster, right? And I've been looking at this painting all night long. We've got to change the name because he's not in checkmate. He's not in checkmate. I see it and I figured something out. And you know what it is? He said, the king has one more move. Did you hear that? The king has got one more move left. And the young man said, moreover, you know what? I make this move with the king and it's going to open the board up. It's going to change everything. I think I can win this game. Now, of course, he's in a room full of men, and he throws down a challenge like that. You know, it's game on, right? So someone gets a chessboard out, and they set it up just like it is in the painting. And the grandmaster sits on one side of the young man, and someone else sits on the side of the devil, and they start to play. And you know what? He was right. The king had another move. And it changed the whole dynamics of the board. And before you know it, the grandmaster had won the game. So someone else had to try it, of course. I mean, one man's not going to trust another man can do it right. Another guy sits down, same thing. King makes his move, opens up the board. He wins a second time. Third guy steps up, tries the same thing. King, he's got one more move. Board opens up, he wins a third time. He does it a fourth time. Beat five people that night. Set up on a board that was called checkmate. All because the king had one more move. And when the king moves, it changes everything. I told you it was a great metaphor, didn't I? When the king moves, nothing is the same. When the king moves, the board changes. The dynamics change. Life itself changes. That's what Jesus was reminding his disciples of. They're walking on the road to the Emmaus, and they're, and, and they're, all, they're all bummed out, and they're depressed. And he says, oh, you foolish ones. Don't you remember? the scripture said don't you remember that this was supposed to happen don't you remember you can't checkmate god he's got you planned out thousands or millions or billions of moves ahead didn't you know that our king has got one more move yeah it looked like checkmate jesus was dead the messiah was gone the disciples were hunting down but the king had one more move and it changed everything the whole world changed with that one move. The power of darkness was broken with that one move. The kingdom of God began its march to victory. One move of the king. That one move opened up the day of Pentecost. It opened up for the Holy Spirit to be poured upon the disciples. It began the moment where they could go out and preach the good news, a message the world had never heard before, that you can have your sins forgiven by the grace of of Jesus Christ. 
to that one move, faith went out to touch millions. And today we're counting billions of people touched by this message. All because the king had one more move. The story of resurrection is a story of hope. It's the reason why we always hope. And we can always hope because we're reminded in this story that it takes just one move of our king and the whole board changes. We can be stuck in certain defeat and just one move for the king makes victory possible. We can be ed- on the edge of ruin. Just one move from the king brings us close to success. We can be right there teetering at the, at the brink of losing everything. But one move from the king. And abundance draws near. It's what makes hope possible. It makes victory possible. I mean, if our king, if he can take death and turn it into life, he can turn anything around. He can turn anything around in my life. He can turn it around in your life. He can turn it around in the life of the world. He can take a broken family and in just one move, you put him on the path to healing. He can take a marriage that's in shambles and just one move from our king put him on the road to reconciliation again. He can find somebody at the very bottom of the pit of of addiction and despair and just one move from our king. And they're on the road to recovery. This isn't idle talk. I'm not just making these things up. He has done it before. It has happened countless times through the history of our faith. One move from our king has has turned criminals into saints. One move from our king has turned slave traders into abolitionists. One move from our king has turned cowards into heroes. All it took was one move from the king and and one of the greatest uh, persecutors of our faith and enemies of Christ turned in. One of the greatest apostles and the preachers of the good news the world has ever seen. It can happen in our world. It can happen in our world today. One move from the king can take our divided country and show us how to be united again. One move from our king can take a church that's in decline and fill it with revival and reform and a newness of life. One move. One move from the king. A world of darkness can be covered in light. Our king takes what is dead and he fills it with new life. Fathers, there's nothing he can't change. Wherever we are in life, wherever you are in life, no matter your situation, how bad it is if you're in the dumps or how fast it looks like things are going down and you just feel like your whole life is a giant dumpster fire, you're always one move away from a complete change of direction. Just one move away. And everything changes. That's what we celebrate today. That one move our king made when Christ, by all accounts, was defeated. But he rose again to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That resurrection is still changing lives. That move he made that long ago is still creating more and more victories for the kingdom of God 2,000 years ago. It was 2,000 years ago, and it's still changing lives for righteousness' sake. 2,000 years have gone by, and he's still bringing the dead 
back to new life. The miracles of our God are not finished. The age of miracles is not over. If you remember nothing else I say today, if you remember nothing else that we've done here today, I beg you, remember this one thing. Remember always, never forget, your king has one more move. And in that move, everything can change. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.